And throughout the, um, the next couple of weeks, we'll be spending some time looking in Luke and different parables throughout, the, um, throughout Luke's gospel. And today we um, turn to the 14th chapter, verses 7 through, um, excuse me, 15 through, 14th chapter, verses 15 through 24. Um, and doing so, just to give a background on where we are, um, Jesus is sitting with some Pharisees at a table. And, they're ha- and he's watching at this table the people coming and position themselves in certain seats, from this seat to that seat, trying to, to, to position themselves and sit by the right people. And they were sitting um, based off hierarchy as well, too. And so Jesus tells a parable. And then that prompted um, one of his um, people he's eating with uh, to say, Blessed is anyone who will eat at the bread, eat bread in the kingdom of God. And then that tempts Jesus to tell a second parable there at that table. And so on to World Communion Sunday, we come um, to the scripture as Jesus um, talks about who is invited um, to God's table. I invite you now to listen to God's word against Luke 14, verses 15 through 24. And you can find it on your pew Bibles on page 77 in the New Testament section if you'd like to read along. I invite you now to listen to God's word. One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who would eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I just uh, been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry. And said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done, and there still is room. Then the master said to the slave, go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Friends, this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. When it comes to excuses, teachers have heard them all. And there's a never-ending, my dog ate the homework excuse. Recently, a student um, used this excuse for the teacher to reply, but it's an online assignment. Dogs are not the only animals used for excuses. And one student, unable to turn in the homework, said that the cat ate their computer. While another student said that they did their homework, I promise you, but their cat um, gave birth last night, and they gave birth on their homework, then proceeded to share a picture of a whole litter of slimy kittens all over paper. Birth works for excuse. Death works for excuse. The end of the world may work. As one student once told his teacher that he's decided not to do his homework because the mains had predicted that the world was going to end. And he figured, eh, he couldn't get in trouble if the world had ended. Excuses are as old as time. 
We've all used them, some being better than others. In today's parable, we can assume the social uh, custom of sending out an invitation in advance and a second invitation at the time of the meal for all those that accepted the first. However, between the first and the second invitation, the circumstances of the guest have changed, each one given an excuse of why they were not able to make it. We can understand if the emotions of the party's host were that of irritation or disappointment, anger even. After all, the table was set. The, the meal was prepared. The expenses paid. Not to mention the host had followed the social norms of the day. As I read the gospel, Mark Ramsey and Ministry Collaborative recently reflected, I think Jesus at least tried to follow the social norms of the day, only to find that many of those he invited to the table were, shall we say, unresponsive. All we know by the time we reach the 14th chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus who tried to invite the, the proper people, Jesus who attempted meals with the Pharisees, Jesus who wanted the table to be open for all, had reached a point where he gives instructions to invite those to the table who feel left out, put down, lost, least, last. In the last verse of this text we read this morning, where Jesus says, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel the people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. That last line, for none of those will taste my dinner. It would be easy for us to say this sentence was a sentence out of anger, as punishment or retribution even, or withholding something. But when we look at the full context of Luke's gospel, those words spoken by Jesus, those are words of sadness. Jesus wants everyone, 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 everyone to share in this feast which has been prepared. We, we're the ones who have trouble with the guest list. A few years back, Orrin Davinsky wrote to New Yorker, a year ago I lost my best friend Oliver Sachs. For many years each week, Oliver and I would cruise north on the west side bike path at sunrise. Alone, our bicycles, a few inches apart, we spoke about everything and anything, but mostly patience and natural history and food. He looked forward to passing by the 79th Street Boat Basin, which reminded him of his city island days. There, on those days, he had a housekeeper who, who once a week would uh, make a beef stew for him and divide it into seven equal portions, one for each day. One day, he noticed that the portions were beginning to shrink in size. So he said, has the price of beef gone up? I'll give you more for it. After some give and take, the housekeeper remorsefully and sheepishly admitted to pilfering some of the stew. 
she could not afford it for herself. Then I'll give you money for eight pounds instead of four, Oliver Sack said, and you keep half. A desperate housekeeper pilfering from the owner of the house would not be included in most of our invitations to a formal dinner. That housekeeper is at the top of Jesus' list. What an unlikely collection of people that Jesus gathers at this table. And maybe that's why some folks excuse themselves. The excuses in Jesus' parable, they were actually really good excuses. The invitees turned down the invitation to the banquet were presumably good people doing good work with decent life responsibilities. It's no, it's not no, I'm too busy right now. It's not, no, I need to fit in a CrossFit workout. It's not even, no, don't you understand, NC State and Clemson are playing on TV. It's none of that. These were respectable, responsible, important excuses. The kind of excuse you and I could come up with. The first person had just made a really big investment, one that people respected because it was going to provide security for generations. The second excuse was uh, a little bit showy. It was this prestigious excuse. The, the guest um, had just bought 10 oxen. Most people at the time could barely afford two oxen, so the excuse was a tad bit showy. But you understand. Then there's the relationship excuse. This is the bulletproof excuse. I just got married. I can't make it. And that held as much, if not more, water in Jesus' day as it does today. Notice where the excuses cluster around. Security. Prestige. Family. Those are the things we build our life around. Security, prestige, family, that is what takes our energy, our focus, our resources, the very life we're seeking to make better. Security, prestige, family led to those responsible excuses. These are not seven deadly sin excuses that kept people away from the banquet table. That, that kept people from experiencing the kingdom of God. The thing that kept people away from the banquet were the very things respectable people built their lives on. Security, prestige, family. These were people striving to make their own lives better. This is so close. It's so close to what God wants for us, with one exception. God does not want us constantly working to make our own lives better. God, God wants to shape our lives. God knows left up to our own devices, we'll end up in places where we will be, we'll amuse ourselves. 
and we will delight others, sure. But we will not be plunging into the love and service that Jesus expects. God knows that too often in life we settle for the low bar. All the while, God is offering this urgent invitation that God is the one that forms us and shapes us into who God created us to be. And one of the principal ways that God shapes us is through community. Jesus rarely sent people off on some individual request for meaning. Jesus rarely said, just be into perspective and understand yourselves. Jesus shaped us all through community. In a community that was not just our carefully curated list of neighbors and colleagues and family and friends or of members of like-minded societies, but communities that pull us out of our carefully attended categories, communities that make us listen much more attentively, communities that lead us uh, to put our feet into new places, communities that teach us to go into the unexpected angles, the ways of God. To accept God's invitation to the table means to participate in the unlikely community that God has shaped, created, and formed. Which is good news when we get faith from the poor, the blind, and the lame. It's even better news. It's great news when whatever life circumstances, we are the poor, the blind, the lame. Jesus presses this idea of community throughout the whole of the Gospels. In Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow, the narrator and the character, and the title character offers the most honest and moving vision of church that I've ever read. Berry writes that what I saw was a community imperfect, unsteady, that held together by the frayed and always framed. Incomplete yet ever holding bonds of infection. In that church, there had never been anyone that had not been loved by somebody who had not been loved by somebody who had not been loved by somebody, and on and on and on and on. It was a community disappointed in itself, sure, always failing, yet always preserving this sort of will towards God's will. I saw them yet somehow perfected, perfected beyond time by another's love, by another compassion, by another's forgiveness. As it is said, we may be perfected by grace. Jesus knew community was the urgent task, not the optional task. Not the, we will get to it when we get to it. Not the icing on the cake type of a task. No, community was urgent task for everyone who followed him. Because community formed around Jesus could change the world. The world 
listened in, in, in awe as Bishop Michael Curry gave a sermon at the royal wedding of Harry and Meghan a few years ago. It was a sermon of urgency, a sermon of community. It was a sermon of love. It was a sermon that was in the making way before Bishop Curry was even born. Curry's parents both grew up in the South, but in Ohio, while Curry's dad was in graduate school and his mother a college professor, they met one another. While they were dating, Curry's mother invited his dad to church. And after moving to Ohio, his mother began attending an Episcopal church. His dad, who grew up going to church, had never attended an Episcopal church. He was skeptical, <clears throat> so he sat in the back. And all was well throughout the whole service. Until communion, the priest invited people to come forward as he held a loaf of bread saying, take, eat the body of Christ. There people will pull from the bread and eat. And then they moved to the priest beside that priest where he held one cup. He gave it to the person and he said, the cup of salvation saying that the blood of Christ shed for you. And each person in line would take that one cup and they would drink from that cup and they would hand that cup back to the priest. That priest would take the same cup and hand it to the next person and to the next person and to the next person. This was 1940s. There was no COVID protocol. This is the 1940s. Jim Crow was alive and well. And yes, it was in the north, but segregation and separation of races was still the law at land. Uh, the armed forces had not been integrated yet. Brown versus Board of the Education had not happened yet. The Montgomery bus boycott had not happened yet. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was still in seminary. It was the 1940s. And I saw the senior curry reflected one cup from which everyone was to drink. A humback. Holding my breath, I watched my then-girlfriend in line move forward with white people on either side of her. As she stepped to the altar, I wondered, what would the priest do? Would he skip her? Would he reach under and pull out a cup labeled blacks? Would the people in line after her come up with an excuse of why they couldn't drink from that cup. I watched in awe as none of that happened. Instead, the priest handed her a cup. She put the cup up to her lips and she drank a sip and she handed it back. The priest did the same for the next person in line and they took that cup and they put it to their lips and they handed it back into the next person, into the next person, and so on. I knew that any church in which it would allow blacks and whites to drink out of that same cup knows something about the urgency of the gospel, and there was no excuse whatsoever that would keep me from being a part of it. 
urgency, the gospel lift of the urgency of being in community. This is not optional, not we'll get to it when we get to it. Those excuses in the parable, they were bad excuses because they didn't recognize the urgency of God's invitation into community, security, prestige, family. Jesus says that can wait. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God can never wait. In just a few moments, we'll come to this table. All of us are invited to come to this table because it is one of the most important things we do together as a church. And through this act of eating together and drinking together, we are not only reminded of the urgency of the gospel, but by the act of participating, we are saying that we are willing participants to be in community with one another. As God urgently uses community in changing the world. As tradition here, we wait until everyone that has been served before we take the elements. As the plates are being passed, as we say to each other, the body of Christ broken for you, the cup of salvation shed for you. I invite you to look around. Look around at this unlikely, passionate, faithful, ragged community. That is a gift from God. And then uh, on this World Communion Sunday, Think about all the people all over this world. Those equally passionate, faithful, ragged communities that through the mystery of God we are connected to at the table. That too is a gift from God. And then after we have all tasted this feast, after we have given thanks to God for this gift, before we pray, I want you to ask yourself one question. Who is missing? I don't just mean the people who are usually here but not able to make it today. Yes, we care about them and we miss them. But beyond them, who is missing? Who has the church told or is telling? But you don't belong. Who, who, who within themselves redeems themselves or telling themselves that they are not worthy? Who looks at the violence in the world and hurricanes, their own life experiences, and declares there's no way there's a God. Who can fathom that church or this table has any relevance at all in the world, in this world any longer?
Who has never been invited? We think about it. Coming to this table is it's an imprudent choice we all make, really. Unless we understand the urgency of saying yes to God's invitation. It's an imprudent choice unless we understand the urgency of being in community that God forms in the kingdom of God. It's a prudent choice, sure. Unless we urgently are asking who is missing from our community. On this World Communion Sunday, there are various theologies that go around this table. But there's one common theological denominator. That by coming to this table, there is no excuse respectable enough or important enough to decline any invitation from God to be community. Because the urgency of this invitation by it, we are invited to the table. We are invited to this unlikely community. We are invited into God's work to help God in nothing less than to redeem the world. Amen.